0: Make the world a better place. Make the world a better place. Hey, hey, I'm Steve Norris. Welcome to Better Place Place Project, where each week we shine a light on amazing humans from every corner of the planet who are doing extraordinary things to help make the world a better place, including sharing their knowledge with us on how we can be living healthier, happier, more purposeful lives. Hey everybody, this episode was a fun one for me, as it's one of only a few times where I'm having someone who I already know on the show for their first appearance. But what's also unique about this episode, and a first for me, is that both my guest and I are releasing this conversation to our respective podcasts. And it's really not so much an interview as it's just two buds kind of shooting the shit, but... I think about some pretty cool stuff that we're shooting the S about. So obviously, you're listening to this on Better Place Project, and my guest is releasing the conversation on his own show, which, by the way, he's releasing this episode next week, I believe next Friday. Um, I'm technically the guest on his show for that episode, and he's the guest on my show today. But like I said, it's really more of a conversation than it is an episode interview. So who is the guest and what is his podcast? Well his name is Adam Carberry. Now Adam is a wellness coach and like me a somatic breathwork practitioner, but he's also a Reiki teacher and a coach and all kinds of other cool stuff. He founded Embrace and Expand, that's his company, in 2021 with the intention of helping individuals that struggle to bring balance to their lives. Adam believes that we must combine our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health in order to live our best lives. He found that often we focus on just one or two of these areas and we just forget about and neglect the others. And when we do this, we can begin to manifest all kinds of challenges and dis-eases in our lives. This is our subconscious's way of letting us know that something isn't quite right. Something's out of alignment. And once we become aware of the areas that we have neglected and begin to cultivate a better balance, we step into the life we were always meant to have. So Adam is here to help you shed all of that, all that is no longer serving you so that you can embrace the person you were destined to be and expand the life of your dreams. And as I alluded to, Embrace and Expand is not only his company name, but also the name of his kick-ass brand new podcast. And on the show, he talks about everything from spirituality, self-development, relationships, mindfulness, wellness, everything that will help you embrace all that you are so that you can expand into the best version of yourself. Now that's pretty stinking cool. But what's most importantly... I'm really just honored to have Adam on simply because he's just the real deal. A good human, a sweet soul. He's a light worker doing good in the world. And I just kind of really wanted to introduce him to you all. We just had a blast doing this chat and I hope you guys enjoy it as much as we did. Without further ado, my shooting the shit conversation with Adam Carberry. Make the world a better place. Make the
1: world a
0: better place. Wow. It's so awesome to be here, Adam.
1: Thank you so much for, for, for getting together and having this chat. Absolutely. So this is going to be really fun because, Steve, since you also have a podcast and I also have a podcast, I feel like we should just treat this as like... Let's just have a conversation. It's, I'm not really interviewing you. You're not really interviewing me. Instead, we get to just chat about a couple of wonderful topics. I'd love to ask you my canned question that I ask everybody that I interview. And I think you've got one for me too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and for me, this is a
0: first for me. I think I'm 135 episodes in and I've never done an actual like simul podcast where where we record one conversation and then we both publish it to our respective podcasts. So this is uh, this is exciting. So for you listeners out there, you're actually listening to two podcasts right now. How cool is that? This is efficiency at its best. Two in one. You're in two parallel
1: dimensions uh, at the same time due to this technology. It's <laughs> such a fantastic thing. I mean, the fact that like. You're in California, I'm in Virginia, and yet due to the internet and microphones and computers and technology, we're able to still have this conversation just like we did when we were in Phoenix.
0: Absolutely. It's it's such a beautiful way to stay connected with people you care about. And and it was interesting that that I even feel like because of this platform that I had a connection with you even prior to us to us uh, going to Phoenix. So speaking of Phoenix, let's tell both of our listeners why, why were we
1: there? As many of you know, that have listened to the podcast, um, I am a breathwork practitioner. I first started with somatic breathwork last January of 2022. And I basically spent the entire year of 2022 diving deeper and deeper into myself to learn basically about my own internal operating system, how I work, how I get triggered, the various different things that make me react in certain situations, simultaneously while learning to hold space for other people to help them discover the same things. Now, I decided to go to the in-person training because I had only ever done the online trainings. And now having experienced both trainings, they both equally have their value, but Steve, I know you can attest to this, that the in-person training is just something unique and wholly different all onto its own.
0: Yeah, there's there's nothing like being there in a room full of like-minded people. And I think there were what, like forty-five of us that went through this at the same time. On top of you know maybe a half dozen of the somatic breathwork practitioner or the, the the trainers I should say out of Austin, Stephen Jaggers and Fish Fisher. They're a beautiful company and beautiful humans. We have to throw a shout out to them for sure. But yes, it was just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful weekend. So, but I do have to ask you, Adam, was there like one? first experience that you had and how did it come about with breathwork how did you discover it and what was your
1: very first experience doing it well my first experience with breathwork was back in 2018 and um i so it's kind of going to be a little roundabout story to get here But we have time in 2017, my wife and I purchased a school bus, retired from a local school district in Washington state. And we spent the next 11 months converting it into a tiny house. And the whole goal was to, I had at that point in time, been running my own business doing high end home theater installation. And it had been about, I think, six years at that point, maybe seven years at that point, um, of running it, no, sorry, excuse me, eight years. And I just was at full-on burnout. I was no longer finding mm-hmm. fulfillment in that job. Financially, it was fulfilling me, but from a soul perspective, it wasn't fulfilling me. And so by not fulfilling myself on a soul level, I just felt fully drained as a person. I would go to do the job, and when I was on the job, I would have my smiley, happy face and present myself the way that I needed to, to make the client feel comfortable, make the client feel happy. I would do the absolute best that I could on the job. But then I would get in my truck, and typically I would spend anywhere from an hour to two hours sitting in traffic, driving back home, absolutely miserable. And then I would get home and be in that misery. And at that time, I was using cannabis to numb myself. And so I would get home and I would rip a bowl and just basically spend the rest of this evening in this kind of just state of not really feeling what I was feeling because it was so heavy. And you
0: talk about that, by the way, openly on your podcast. And I love kind of that episode. And I, I applaud you for doing that, for sharing kind of where you were at in a state of of numbing yourself, because I think that's so relevant to why so many of us, you know, work go towards breath work so that we can open ourselves up to really Go back to basically who we are and shed out so many of the things that we're trying to numb. So anyway, i I interrupted you, but I wanted to applaud you for that and also give a shout out to that episode. I think it's your second or third episode on the show where you talk openly about this. So
1: yeah, I greatly, you. I greatly appreciate that. And it was I had to confront a lot of myself in sharing openly about that because, Um, I spent 16 years abusing cannabis and I don't, I, I believe cannabis is a plant medicine. It has a lot of amazing benefits. I still use it in a ceremonial type fashion, but it's very infrequently. Breathwork helped me to get to that point. It helped me to recognize where I wasn't honoring the spirit of cannabis the way that it is meant to. If we get back to spending 11 months working full time, trying to convert a school bus into a home that, I mean, I had to rip out all the seats, I had to rip out all of the school bus electrical system, I completely, with my wife's help, designed the interior, I did all of the electrical work myself, I did all of the woodwork myself, everything had to be done in a certain custom fashion because... You can't just go to the store or go to IKEA and buy stuff to just fit into a school bus. (laughs) You know, you have to like. And granted, people do go to IKEA and buy cabinets and retrofit them that way. But sure, we have five animals, so we had to basically build the floor plan around our animals' needs, and then fit ourselves in around that. But through working full time, through doing the conversion, through trying to have a social life, for trying to be there for my friends and family. I was spent. I I took on way more than I realistically had the energetic capacity for. And towards the point in time of we were getting ready to move into the bus, we had our house listed on the market, we were selling all of our stuff, which I was very, very attached to. Can I jump in there real quickly? So
0: what was it, Adam, about um, what was your Motive, You know, for the bus where you're like, let's just go see the United States. Let's travel. Let's be mobile. And, and I can still do, you know, what you, you obviously hadn't started your breathwork practice at that point, correct? Or had you, you, you were already doing no. coaching.
1: Um, I, at that point in time, I wasn't even doing coaching at that point in time. I, um, still doing the audio visual. Yeah, uh, I was still doing the home theater thing. And then every so often I was in, so 2015, I discovered Reiki and I got my Reiki level one and two training. And then. As I do with everything, when I find something I really am passionate about, I dive fully into it. I go 150 miles per hour into it. I basically spent six months of every single time there was a Reiki share at this local center, I was there. Every time there were opportunities to work with that community, I was there because I found something that helped fulfill me on a soul level. That was giving me a little bit of my life back. And then in 2016, I traveled to Glastonbury, England and got my Reiki master's training. Um, they held the final, it's called Attunement in the center of Stonehenge, which was an amazing experience all in and of itself. So cool. Yeah, I've been to
0: Stonehenge. It's amazing. But doing something like that there must have just been phenomenal.
1: It, it was it was very incredible. And, and like my history is... On my mother's side, uh, they're from Scotland. My father's side, they originate from England. So there was a lot of history for me in going there and really being amongst those ancient stones. Like, I I felt like I had been there in a previous lifetime. But through doing those practices, it honestly just wasn't enough with everything that I took on in trying to convert the school bus, trying to drastically change my life. And the reason we tr- decided to do it is one, we wanted to travel. We wanted to be able to bring all of our animals with us and have a comfortable space. I mean, it's a full-size 40-foot school bus, so it, it is a massive bus. It's 240 square feet of living space. Wow. And we have everything that we possibly could need. But right in the time period that I was, we were getting ready to hit the road, I came across a documentary called Sacred Science by Nick Polizzi. And he documented eight people traveling to the Amazon jungle and spending time with the center called Paititi Institute. And Roman Hannes, the guy that runs that center, is a trained shaman who healed himself from um, some medical issues, utilizing plant medicines and the teachings that the shamans of the Amazon jungle were able to basically gift him through knowledge of, of word. And so I watched the documentary, got the book, read the book, and like any book, it goes into way more detail than what a documentary or movie is going to go into. I literally closed that book, opened my computer, and booked my retreat for the very next time. And it was actually the first time that they held a 10-day intensive retreat, so... Every single day you're doing something. There was not a lot of space in between the ceremonies. And so we spent seven days going from Seattle to Boston which is um, my father-in-law lives in Massachusetts. And so we basically seven days mobbed across the country. I parked the bus in his driveway. I had three days to kind of take a breath. And then I hopped on a flight to Peru. Wow! I spent a week there by myself before the retreat started to get acclimated to the higher altitude that's there. I hiked through some ruins in a town called Pisac, which was really beautiful. Um, A great experience to just do by myself and really disconnect. And at that time, that was the first time in, I would say, let's see, 2018. So that would have been probably 12 years that I took a break from cannabis. Really? Wow. I quit 30 days before I went down there because I knew that... I wanted to meet myself myself. I wanted to experience ayahuasca and San Pedro, the plant medicines that I knew I was going to be experiencing in that um, retreat space without having any other substance in my system. And Mm -hmm. it honestly was, was easy. It was super, super easy to not consume cannabis at that point because I made the decision and I had the intention on why I was doing it.
0: Absolutely,
1: I had tried to quit numerous times before that and was never successful for more than about seven days because I didn't have a reason to. I was a, you had a, you had a flag on the horizon that you were going towards and you had a reason to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was, I was always a very high functioning stoner, if you will. Like I had no, most people that would meet me had no idea that I was stoned most of the time, unless I was working. That's also one of the reasons why it was very scary to openly release that on my podcast, because I know so many people who will listen to that be like, I had no idea. I had no idea that that was the state that you were always operating in, nor would they have known that the reason why I was in that state, because internally I just wasn't okay. I've Mm -hmm. always done a very good job of presenting myself as like, I'm a perfectly happy individual. Like, you know, I put on this mask that doesn't actually let people know what I'm going through because I've never wanted to put that burden on other people. Because through my childhood, I had other people place that burden on my own shoulders. Now, once I was going through those ceremonies, I had a lot of aha moments come to me and realizations of why I was reacting the way that I was reacting, why things happened in my life the way that they needed to happen. And through going through those processes on, I think, day four or five, we experienced breathwork. And the next day, we also did another breathwork session. And those breathwork sessions were more powerful than the ayahuasca and San Pedro ceremonies for me.
0: That's amazing.
1: Because it was just me. It was me and my breath. And it cracked me open so wide. And I relived memories from two, three, and four years old. Like That's amazing. In, if I was there personally viewing it but it was like my higher self was looking down on my younger self, watching everything unfolded. And that's truly when I had the aha moments of, oh, okay, so that's why I react in these certain situations the way that I do. And that's when I started being very, very curious of, okay, how do I go deeper into this breath work? How do I receive this training? Well, to get the training through Praty TT Institute there's all kinds of prerequisites that you have to go through because the way that they do it it's a very ancient lineage it's all ran via a drum certain beats there's four different stages that you go through that basically take you through different points in your life the beats follow different aspects of the heartbeat so there is a lot that goes into it it was a little bit more complex of a breathwork process Truly, truly profound. The most extreme experience of tetany that I have ever had in oh, all did. of my breathwork sessions. I mean, like, my feet were fully cramped. My hands were fully cramped. Like, we call them T-Rex claws or lobster claws. Sure. Um, my body... And were those long sessions, were they? Um, they were an hour. Um, they were okay. basically oh, so just as long, long as somatic breathwork three sessions. were three-hour holotropic
0: marathons. Again, no, but, no, yeah.
1: definitely not that long, but... I also could feel where I was still kind of holding myself back, because I was in a group of 22 people, and I knew at that point that there was a lot more under the surface than what I ever imagined that there was. When I came back, I started doing more research and looking into, okay, where else could I get trained? And I came across um, a guy named Michael Stone, who leads neurodynamic breathwork. And that breathwork process is exactly like somatic breathwork with the exception of instead of breathing in and out of the mouth just in the first half and then in through the nose and out through the mouth in the second half, you are breathing in and out of the mouth the entire hour and it's all just guided by music. There is no neuro-linguistic programming. There's no guidance from the practitioner. You are literally just there on your own And the music is just guiding the experience. And I ended up doing about 50 different sessions with neurodynamic breathwork. The first 10 sessions were all different. And I experienced a lot of different things. I had a lot of emotional releases. But then after about that 10th session, from 10 until 50, I kept going to the same place. I refer to it as the yogic trance state a space that our subconscious puts us in where we're in between waking and asleep. It's like we're in this state of pure oneness and nothingness all at the same time. But from that state, you're not aware of what you're processing. You're not aware of what your body is going through. Achieving that same state over and over and over and over again, I finally said to myself, I was like, this is pointless to keep doing because I just keep going back to the same state. I don't feel like I'm actually continuing to make progressions. And so I stopped doing breathwork for a while. And then December 28th of 2021, I sat through a breathwork session with Steven Jaggers I got off that call and immediately signed up. Oh, so up. this was a Zoom call. Yeah, it was this a Zoom was call on- online. Yeah, okay. And I, as soon as I got off of that call, I immediately signed up for the online course, and my life has been changed ever since.
0: Wow. And so, what was it? So, was it because of the the queuing and the with the music as well as the guidance that really made a difference for you?
1: Yeah, it's having somebody there actually holding the space. Yeah. You know, knowing that somebody else is there helping me to go through the process while also giving cues that make me ask myself questions.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And like, you know, Stephen talks about the Peter Levine quote that is so apropos in that true healing does happen in the presence of an empathetic witness. And that's what you saw.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that is. You know, it's not to say that neurodynamic breathwork is any less potent or powerful. I had some amazing experiences through that. Same thing with the uh, primordial breathwork that I experienced in Peru. I had an amazing experience. But I think we all have to learn to find the right tool for us and the right tool for where we're at on the journey. and. Now having experienced multiple modalities of breath work, I just recognize the power that somatic breathwork has. And of course, it's not a perfect modality. It still has room for improvement. I have made in my own sessions a little few subtle changes that just work better for me, work better for my SMI. energy. And yep, yep how I think it is going to help that particular client. But I think that's part of being a space holder is it's learning it to sure read is. the energy of the people that are around you and what they need in that time, which is why I love Somatic Breathwork's definition of holding space is to experience the fullest capacity in the present moment through witness consciousness by not being reactively involved, but being response able. able, love it, yeah. And that's the key.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, um, but just to circle back. So on the school bus, I still want to know that. Did you guys, was that your intention to just let's, let's, uh, travel all over the U S while you can still continue to, you know, work remotely from the bus? Was that the plan?
1: Yeah, that was the long term plan. And my wife, she works remotely. She works for a nonprofit organization called Dolphin Project. And so she had a remote job, which allowed us to have some funds coming in. I was referring work through my home theater business to another home theater company that was giving me a commission off of all the jobs that I sent them. So I was making a little bit of money off of that. But it really gave us the freedom to travel around. And, you know, if you live in the Pacific Northwest or have ever traveled in the Pacific Northwest in fall and winter, you recognize that it's nothing but gray and rain constantly. Yeah, I couldn't live there. It, it is a challenge. I, I mean, I mm-hmm. s- have lived there most of my life. And once we moved into the bus and started traveling during the winter months to get away from that weather, we recognized that, oh, man, there's many other places in the country that have yeah. much better weather during these months. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's. Just like today here in Virginia, it's sunny, it's beautiful, it's it's maybe in like the low 50s, so it's not crazy cold or yeah. anything like that. And it's mid-January. Sure. Like this yeah. wouldn't be possible back in Washington. So that was really our driving force was to experience more of the country we originally wanted to try and hit as many of the national parks as we could unbeknownst to us many of the national parks have length limit on vehicles so having a 40 foot bus kind of limits where you can actually go
0: jeez
1: And, you know, we just traveled around the first time with just bicycles. That was our only other mode of transportation aside from the bus. So that really limited where we could go. Now we have e-bikes. So they've got about a 30 mile range. And it's made a massive difference on where we can go. Um, We're in the process of looking for a vehicle so that we can travel around more and see more of Virginia. And if Virginia isn't where we're going to stay, then we'll have a vehicle to be able to travel around some more and really kind of try and find home. But it mainly was to disconnect from the life that I was living that wasn't fulfilling me and being able to kind of take a sabbatical and try and discover what would actually bring me fulfillment, what would actually make me feel good and happy to wake up every day doing. And through that process, I realized, like, well, one of the things that makes me so good at my job is I'm just a good people person. And many of the times when I would be installing jobs, like, I'd be talking with the client and we would have deep conversations because that's just the type of person that I am. And through that process, I kind of recognized, like, okay... I think I want to be a coach. I think I want to have these conversations with people and be able to share my knowledge that I have learned through my healing journey and hopefully help them do the same. And then once I started getting into becoming a breathwork practitioner, it was like those two things just merged perfectly. Like if you do a coaching session with me, you're going to experience breathwork. It it's required to go through my coaching programs because Breathwork helps you gain clarity on what you're actually looking for coaching for. It helps you gain that clarity on what you actually need to work on. And a lot of times people that come to me to do coaching after that Breathwork session, their intention on coaching is very different because they gain Mm -hmm. that clarity.
0: Right. Yeah. And I wanted to, you know, mention as well, I think it's so cool, Adam, that your first kind of, you know, Like blown away experience with somatic breathwork was was online, and see mine was the exact opposite. I discovered it um, completely by accident. My ex wife, I was flying back to Illinois a couple of years ago, and my ex-wife had given me a book to give to my to her mother, my mother-in-law, or ex-mother-in-law, but I'm still really close with her family. And I said, sure, I'll take the book back. And I was going to spend a couple months in Illinois with my parents. They're in their late 80s now, so I try to spend as much time as I can back there. And after I'd been back there like a month, first of all, I completely forgot to drop off the book at her mother-in-law's house, went to her mother-in-law's house, had dinner a couple times, but forgot the book. I'm going through my backpack one morning, and I pull out this book called Breathwork by Andrew Smart, and and I'm thinking, where did this come from? I, I and I thought, oh wait, I think I think Kim gave it to me, my ex-wife. I forgot why she gave it to me. I was completely in my own little private Idaho, and I'm flipping through it, and I see it's got some Wim Hof breathing techniques in it. It's kind of like a coffee table style book, like five pages per each little breath work. And my sister had turned me on to Wim Hof a year or so before that. And so I'm flipping through it and I saw something called a three-part breath. I don't know if you've ever done that, but but it's essentially belly, chest, exhale. <laughs> belly, chest, exhale, belly, chest, exhale. And I'm reading through this and it says, if there's ever a breath work that will take you to an altered state, this is it. And it goes on and it talks about the things you mentioned, lobster claws and 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 obviously major tetany. And set your alarm for 20 minutes and just try doing 20 minutes at the start and then work your way up to 30 minutes. And I thought, screw that. I'm going for the whole 30 minutes and, and laid down on a yoga mat. Didn't even turn on any music for the first session. Just laid down on the yoga mat, put on some eye shades, which it recommended eye shades and somatic breath work. We don't necessarily recommend it. And we can talk about that later. But I laid down at my sister's house and I just did this. It seemed like a few minutes in, seemed like four or five minutes in, just, you know, I felt the tingling all over my whole body. I just felt myself going to a different place. And then I just felt this overwhelming feeling of just love just this, just, just washed over my entire body. And I just started bawling like a baby, just crying. And I realized that I needed some things that I needed to release. And I just had this complete outpouring and boom, the alarm goes off. Adam, it seemed like it had maybe been six or seven minutes and a half hour. Had passed, and I was so like, and you know, I turned off the alarm and completely went back and tried to enjoy this state as long as I could. And I've since learned don't ever set an alarm when you do this ever. And uh, so that was a one thing I disagree with in this book. I then just laid there for about another twenty minutes, just just taking in this feeling of just such a deep peace that I don't think I had. In fact, I know. I not felt at least since being a little boy, maybe being held by my mom sitting in front of the fireplace or what have you. That's the true deep feeling of love and peace that I, that I had. And I went to stand up and I felt like I was completely just drunk out of my mind, just completely inebriated my, you know, I was wobbly. I had to hold on to a dresser to stand up and hold myself there for a few minutes. I've talked about this on my podcast that I, I, go then to walk across, leave my sister's, one of her guest rooms, and walking across her living room, and she has two cats, one that is just as nice as can be, a friendly cat, and one that hates everybody, and especially me, and would never let me pet it, never would let me even come around it. He would run off, and he comes trotting over towards me, puts his paws up on my legs, and I'm looking down at him going, hey, what's up, little guy? How you doing? And I plopped down on the floor and he hopped on my lap and just started purring and crawling and rubbing his body all over me. I since read later on that night, I go back and I read the next couple pages of the book and it says, pay attention to how animals and just how you feel in nature and how nature responds to you over the next couple days after doing this exercise. And it's so, so True. So that was my very, very first experience. And like you, when I had that, once I had that, I'm like, what the hell just happened? I need to learn more about this. And I just went down this breathwork rabbit hole that's just been, that led me to Phoenix, Arizona with Lisa, my partner, which which by the way, we're doing an in-person session in San Clemente, California on January 29th. A little shout out to that. Go to our Instagram page, Better Place Praj, And you'll have more information on that. But circling back to Adam, the online, you know, forum. So so I had done a year and a half or so plus of, you know, just in-person, by-myself sessions. And I heard about Somatic, you know, Release, Somatic Breathwork out of Austin and Stephen and Fish. And I signed up to become a member of their Breathwork sessions that are every couple of weeks. and But I was hesitant to do it online i didn't think you could have the experience and and i want to give a shout out to you for this because you were the very first person that ever moderated a session for me online i didn't know who you were i'd never seen your face never seen your name before and i signed up for this session and wow did i have just there there were like i think 100 plus people on this call and I just had an amazing experience. So you were the first person that convinced me that this can be a beautiful, beautiful experience in, in a room full of people. And I, I, I'm i holding up air quotes, room full, because there are people in, in Europe, in South America, and all across the United States on this call. And that inspired me even that much more to become a practitioner. So I can also do this for people, you know, in any part of the country, in any part of the world, and have a beautiful experience, and then come together in a healing circle afterwards. Healing circle, again, in air quotes, where we all talk about our experience for fifteen or twenty minutes afterwards, and I'll turn it back to over to you to talk about why that is important. Um, the for us
1: all to come together afterwards and talk about our experience? Yeah. So personally, having experienced the majority of my breathwork sessions online, I knew going into somatic breathwork in the online training, how powerful it can be online. And for me, I find the comfort in doing it online because I'm in my own home. I'm not surrounded yep. by a bunch of people like I experienced in Peru. And so by not being surrounded by a bunch of other people, it allows me to go fully into myself and fully into my process versus When you're in a big group of people, especially a group of people that you don't know, you might be a little bit more reserved. And if you start to feel like anger, for example, start to come up, you might hold your voice back and you might not let that yell out that's wanting to come out. You might not throw your arms around and kind of have like a little temper tantrum that your body wants to go through because you didn't get to experience it in your childhood or in your teenage years or even in your adult years when you know we just learned to bottle up those emotions personally i most of the breathwork sessions that i hold are online and I find a tremendous amount of power in that because people are able to be wherever they are located. They don't have to worry about there being a practitioner that's close to them or a studio or anything like that. But to answer your question of the importance of having the sharing circle at the end, it's integration. Being able to share your experience with other people and be vulnerable with other people and have other people be vulnerable with you allows you to simulate that experience into your being that much more. If we just ended the call and said, okay, hey, thanks for joining, see you later, you'd be left with all of these feelings all of these emotions and not know really what to do with it to do with it yeah but when you have a group of people that can come on and say i experienced this and i had so many tears come up because it reminded me of this experience in my childhood when i wasn't allowed to cry when i was told that good boys don't cry be a man like you know you're not supposed to show your emotions when we are full spectrum beings. We're meant to feel every spectrum of the emotions in all of our life. We're not meant to bottle them up. Bottling them up and stuffing them away is what causes disease in the body. But to also hear that other people from other walks of life, from other countries, from various different life backgrounds all kind of experience the same thing. It really helps make us feel like we're part of something more, that we're actually all truly interconnected, much more than we could possibly imagine. Well said. And
0: and but I did want to throw out there as well for those of you that that perhaps are hesitant to do a group session in person at a yoga studio or you know, Adam, you and I took part uh, facilitating in a session in Phoenix with 155 people at the Sheridan Phoenix, which was just a beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. experience. And but I did want to to comment on that because I, like you, had done all my breathwork sessions by myself, whether it be online or or just literally by myself doing my own breathing and without any moderator. And so I also had no idea. How I was going to be taking part in a session in a group. And the very first time I ever did that was in Phoenix at our training week. And I told the story, shared it with that, with our whole group that my first experience on that first Thursday was here I'm laying there on the floor. We're getting ready to start with, you know, 45 other people that I don't know from Adam. Literally from Adam. (laughs) Yeah. So, and, uh, but I describe it as that I closed my eyes in a room full of strangers. And over the course of the next hour, I heard the sounds of those that weren't as afraid as I was to release anger to release their 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 cries to yell to 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 move their bodies or what have you i heard this cacophony of of sounds from the room and as i went through that hour i realized that when i opened up my eyes i opened up my eyes into a room full of people that i had so much love and compassion for because we all went on that journey together. And it was just, just a beautiful experience. So both of them are awesome. So if you have an opportunity to go to an in-person one, do it. If you don't have that opportunity, Definitely. And even if you do have that opportunity, also try it online because they both can be so powerful for so many reasons. So Yeah.
1: I love I love that you said that, Steve, because yes, like I've noted, it can be very powerful being online, doing it in the comfort of your own home. But when you breathe together as a group, you connect together in a way that truly isn't possible online. It's not possible to energetically co-regulate with another person's nervous system the way that you can in person. And when you can have somebody come up next to you and speak into your ear, it's okay to feel it. It's okay to feel everything that's coming up and then have somebody place their hand on your heart and to feel that somebody else is there. That's, that is Honestly, still to this day, one of the most powerful experiences that I've ever had was having Stephen come over and put his hand on my heart the second day. And then the very first day, Nadim doing the same thing and me having the realization that it was the first time in my life that another man held space for me in that way. Wow! That another man was able to witness me fully in my feels and tell me that it was okay
0: that's beautiful.
1: And I mean like it it still like makes me very emotional just thinking about it because to have somebody else give you that gift. I can't do that. I can't reach through the computer screen and put my hand on your chest. Like I can only do that in person. And so I've also got an in-person session here at a local yoga studio in Richmond on February 11th that I'm really, really excited to be a part of a whole new community that I don't know any of these people. i don't never been to the yoga studio or anything, but my wife, who does all of the kind of back-end stuff for our business Embrace and Expand, um, she just reached out to a bunch of yoga studios, and this was the one that wanted to have a session hosted, and so we're going to kind of see if, you know, if there is a community for us here and what that's going to look like. But I'm really excited to be able to hold an in-person session again, because it's been since August for me since, well, December when we did that large group session, but August since I've actually held a container all myself in person. And It is just very, very powerful when you can have people that are breathing together in one room, and all of a sudden one person starts crying, and then that gives another person the permission, oh, I can do that? And then all of a sudden a person on the other side of the room starts crying and then somebody starts yelling and then another person starts yelling. And like you said, I love that word cacophony because that's exactly what happens. It's like this cacophony of emotions that somebody finally opened the box and said that it's okay to feel. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's uh, it's a powerful, powerful, powerful thing to experience. And, and for those of you listening out there, if you know, if, if we sound like we're excited about this, it's because it has changed our <laughs> lives. And, and, and once it happens to you, you just want to share it. You want to scream to the rooftop and, and help others that are experiencing, you know, or, or maybe still working through childhood trauma or, or, or what have you. And the, the other thing that I want to share with you that, that really kind of motivated me to want to become a practitioner as opposed to still simply just practicing on my own and participating in sessions as a client, so to speak. And I have a very, very long-term friend. We've known each other for for decades, and he's been battling depression off and on his entire life. He's been on very, very powerful antidepressants for, for many, many years, And, and he's really been going through a dark night of the soul, had literally 10 therapists over the last 25 years. And the last couple of years have been some of the toughest of his entire life, like literally bedridden, would go days without leaving his apartment, would go and, and, you know, get out of bed to, to eat and go back to bed. For a year and a half, he would not even let me go into his apartment because he said you would just be disgusted, Steve. And this was a guy that his apartment looked like a model home. I mean, beautifully decorated and and just beautifully was spotless and clean. And you know, a couple months before the training, um, so this would have been last August, September. I went out to see him once a week. I would drive. He lives about an hour from me, and took him out to dinner. And I told him about you know, I'd been talking to him about breath work and whatnot. And I said, Hey, anytime you want me to at least show you what I do, I'm here for you. And, and, and it's just done so much for me. And he just kind of put it off and put it off. And after, you know, we had had a light dinner and, and we're driving, I'm, you know, we're driving off to go someplace else. I can't remember. And he said, Steve, can we go to my condo right now and, and, and do that breath work stuff you're talking about? And I'm looking at him, I'm driving. You serious? You want to go right now? And he goes, I'm I am i have got nothing to lose. I'm at the lowest point in my entire life. My he said, You're gonna be disgusted. You're gonna to wanna to vomit when you walk into my house. And and I said, I don't give a shit about any of that, dude. I love you. You're my brother. Let's get you better. I don't know that this is gonna help you, you know, but I do know that this can help you release some of the stuff that you're carrying. And um, and so this is without any training. I told him, I said, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to show you what I do in my breath work. And we put on some music. You know, over the last year or two, I started putting on breath work and meditation music while I did it. And I just did what naturally came to me as far as giving him vocal cues and, and helping him with the breath and making sure he's breathing deep into the belly and all those things. And he had just this guttural release that was just so powerful and so beautiful and and when we done we're done we both just kind of sat and cried there for a while and talked for like half hour or 45 minutes like you said just a natural purging and in the integration and and all of that and he gets up and he walks over to a closet and he opens up the door and and it's just a shelves full of self-help books how to get out of depression you know, um, tapes on how to turn your life around, you know, you name it. It's just every life coach, every. And he said, all of this over these last few years, and I can't tell you how many therapy sessions I've been through driving home, just feeling worse than when I drove there. None of that for the last 25 years has ever made me feel like what you just helped me with right there. You know, for me, that just reinforced that this is something very, very powerful. Humanity, we've been breathing for thousands and thousands of years, but but what a way to tap into who we truly are and help us get back to who we truly are. So...
1: Yeah. Yeah. I always like to refer to as it's the journey back to self. Sure is. Right? And... You know, so many of us, I like to use the analogy of when we are kids and we're starting to shift right around like six, seven, eight years old, and we start to shift into the person that we're going to show up into the world as, we put on a backpack. And in putting on that backpack, different events add stones to that backpack, And over time, we start carrying more and more stones in that backpack. And the longer we carry them, the heavier and heavier they get. Breathwork allows you to set that backpack down, open it up, and see what stones are no longer relevant to see what stones still have a lesson, but maybe you can chisel away some of that stone and make it a little bit smaller so you can still carry that lesson with you but not actually have to bear the full burden of that weight. The gift that you gave your friend was showing him that it's okay to finally put some of that stuff down. It's a beautiful metaphor. I love that. And that's something that conventional talk therapy cannot do. It can help you peel back the layers of the onion, but those layers are still going to be there. Those stones are still going to be there. You might be able to rifle through and look at them, but until you can get to the point in which they were originally created, and I have the belief that you can't change anything except from the state that it was originally created, which is why in breathwork we have to stress the nervous system out in order to be able to let go of the stress and trauma. And then we can calm the nervous system back down, and then that's when we can start rewriting that iOS, that internal operating system. Yep.
0: Yeah, we had, as you're talking there, you, you made me think of, we had a, a woman on the show uh, called Kelly Folkrod. I don't know if you're familiar with Kelly. She's out of Austin, Texas as well, by the way. She's a psychotherapist, and she is pretty much single-handedly taking on big pharma. And because she came from the medical community and was a part of the process and saw it firsthand of how some of these antidepressants, you know, make their way into, you know, the prescriptions that, that, you know, that we end up taking. She's also kind of taking a lot of flack from the community because she's very, and I don't want to say anti, and and by the way, she, she says there's a time and a place for antidepressants, but... Not for years and years and years and years, no. Because the trauma of trying to get off them so far exceeds, in many, many cases, the trauma that brought the person to the antidepressants in the first place. But she also is very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, she, she does not speak highly of our, our traditional modern day approach to therapy, One on one therapy, she said, should like hardly ever be more than three or four or maybe five sessions. That's it. Because you create a co dependency and, you know, between client and patient. And she's the first person that says, for thousands of years, we humans have been healing in community. We've been healing in circles. That's how we heal. So her practice now includes yes maybe a a one-on-one session or two or three to kind of peel start to peel back the onion like you mentioned but part of her sessions are getting out into nature so many of her meetings are out under a tree with her patients they include breath work they include plant medicine all these modalities that are more natural that are more um you know that again that get us back to healing in circles
1: yeah it's like that holistic approach right it's absolutely going back to the way that our ancestors have done it and like i can speak of you know antidepressants i was put on them when i was 12 years old you know i was told that i was adhd and bipolar When the the actuality is, I'm just a highly sensitive person. My nervous system just feels other people's emotions very, very easily. And that manipulated how I was feeling on a daily basis because I didn't know where I started and other people began. I didn't know where I ended and other people ended. So it was this like mishmash of like, in what I'm feeling is. Does that actually belong to me? Is that someone else? Like now I know the difference. Breathwork has helped me really decipher of what belongs to me and what belongs to others. But the answer at that point in the 90s was just like, oh, here, give the kids some pills. That will make him quote unquote normal. Exactly. All it did was put me on a substance abuse issue from 12 until 20. And then once I got off of them, I went to other substances. I went to alcohol and cannabis. Like yeah. most people typically tend to do. And fortunately, I I quit drinking alcohol at the age of 30. It's been eight years now, and I haven't drank a single drop since then. Best decision of my life. There, of course, is always a time and a place for those certain things. It doesn't work for my body, um, and my body made that very, very apparent. But then having to go through the battle of still dealing with substances to just numb myself. And that's really all antidepressants, any of the ADHD or ADD medication, any of those. It's just about numbing, you know, like Stephen brings up of a really powerful session that he did for a woman was a woman whose job is literally to write prescriptions to numb people. Exactly. And she went through breath work and it was one of the most profound and most difficult experiences of her life because for once she couldn't numb the people that were feeling their pain and then recognized that what she was actually doing was more detrimental than beneficial. And of course, if you get into an accident and your leg is broken or you need surgery or anything like that, yes, there is a time and a place for these medications, but it should not ever be consistent. It should not ever be something that you are reliant on to be able to live your life. That's not living your life.
0: Yeah, well said. And, and then to, to add to that, another thing that Kelly prescribes to her patients is a gratitude practice. Mm. Can you tell me what role has gratitude played in your life?
1: Well, I actually have a bracelet on my wrist, and it has two words on it, ineffable gratitude. And for those of you that don't know what ineffable means, it basically means no words. So... At the end of this last year, my wife and I sat through a cacao ceremony that this woman led online, and part of it was, so cacao is a plant medicine, it's just drinking chocolate that the Mayans have used for thousands of years. It's a natural heart opener. So it really connects you with your heart space. It helps to take you from the mind into your heart. And then she led this beautiful meditation of trying to discover your word for 2023. And she basically was like leading it through, and it was like, you are almost like standing in rain, and all of these words are just raining down onto you. And she led another meditation at the beginning that had you kind of picture a word that came up. And for me, it was ineffable. It was a word that I have felt a lot throughout my experiences of where I come out of plant medicine ceremonies or I come out of breath work. And it's like, I literally can't put that experience into words. So much happened in such a short period of time. It's ineffable. And then through standing in this rain of words, she's like, okay, now reach out your hands. And the first word that landed in my hands. And I literally could, I like, Physically was holding my hands out and I could feel the weight as soon as gratitude settled into my hands. And for me, ineffable gratitude for 2023 means I am by the end of the year not going to be able to describe the sheer amount of gratitude that I'm going to have for all of these experiences. And already 20 days into January, I feel a tremendous amount of gratitude because I finally did something that I've been wanting to do for years, and that was start my podcast. Today, my 12th episode was released, and I've got almost 200 unique downloads in 20 days like for I, you. I awesome. feel I just feel so much gratitude for everybody that supports and everybody that listens. I feel gratitude for being able to be in a beautiful environment that's like here in Virginia. I feel gratitude for living a bus that I built with my own hands. Like when we start to live in a state of gratitude, we begin to see more that we can be grateful for. And then we begin to attract more to be grateful for. And it just becomes this cycle of yeah. endless gratitude. But when we don't have gratitude for the things that we have, when we don't have gratitude for just the fact that we're alive, when we adopt more of a victim mentality and more of a life is just out to get me... That's when the dark night of the soul happens. That's when it rears its ugly head and you start to feel depression. You start to feel anxiety. You start to feel like you're not good enough, like you're not worthy. Mm -hmm. And all of these negative emotions or lower frequency emotions, I should say, because there's a scale of consciousness, right? So like if you think of zero to a thousand, a thousand being like enlightenment, true unconditional love, zero being fear, shame, guilt, depression, all of those feelings, vibrations, the right. lowest vibrations, right? And then there's this like range of in between them. As soon as you can start to get to that neutral state, that's where you can transcend up into the higher frequencies, but you can also transcend down into the lower frequencies. And that's currently where I feel like I'm at I can feel the higher frequencies at times, but I can also still feel the lower frequencies at times. I'm still riding that wave throughout it. And then you get people like Neem Karoli Baba or Mahatma Gandhi, people like that. They're operating those higher range of frequencies all the time. Like they don't even know how to touch down into those lower frequencies. <laughs> it's like they're high on LSD twenty four seven three sixty five. 365. They just feel beautiful all the time. I think that's the goal for all of us to be able to get to. Sure. But it takes a lot of work to get there. It takes a lot of effort to be able to transcend all of these negative and feelings of emotions that we've all been carrying for a really, really long time. But that's where tools like breathwork, meditation, grounding, that can help you to start to shed those things that are weighing you down. Start to let go of those negative emotions or not really let go, but release the energetic charge behind those negative emotions. So then you can rewrite those patterns. Yeah. Well
0: said. I have a, um, and I want to talk about in a moment, what meditation has done for you as well. But, um, I have a meditation and, and every morning I wake up, first thing I do is a 20-minute meditation in the morning and I alternate. Sometimes I'll go for days and weeks at a time where I I just do it solo, just myself, focus on the breath. And, and I have exercises that I'll do in my meditation, but it's just me going to the stillness. Other times I like to, and I have a list of about 20 meditations, guided ones that I like. And when I feel like I'm, need to get back to gratitude I have a gratitude meditation and I'll put the link to this in the episode notes by the way but but she she goes through talking about you know focusing on first being thankful for the air that you are feeling going in and out of your nostrils and then being thankful for your family being thankful for your friends being thankful for you know all these things in your life and the and it slowly just, Builds to where by the end of the meditation, she's in and, and every one of these mantras. She it, it, there's like affirmations, and you say it three times, and then you take a deep breath, inhale, exhale, and then you go on to the next mantra. And one of the last mantras, after feeling this gratitude just percolating and building up in your, in your body, she says, I expect and I accept miracles and and that's your mantra i expect and i accept miracles and and it's so true that once you start practicing gratitude just more and more things just come your way every day it's like wow thank you for that thank you for that and and you do almost get to the point where you are, where I, I should say, I am almost getting to the point where I literally am just expecting awesome things every single day since I've been on this consistent gratitude practice. It's just been been amazing. But I will put that link in the episode notes. But speaking of meditations... What is your meditation practice, and what role has that played in your life, Adam?
1: So I've had a pretty like long going meditation practice. Um, initially, it started out. I was first introduced to meditation when I started doing Reiki in 2015. It was just part of the process in learning to do it. It was part of the process in d- holding Reiki shards. You do a meditation in the very beginning to prepare yourself for being in the space to hold space for others and to be able to channel energy through yourself. Now, I have a very different view on what meditation is now that I've been practicing seated, closed eyes, very Zen Buddhist typical style of meditation. I now have the view of meditation can be anything that keeps you in the present moment. Anything that you can do that allows you to focus on that singular task at hand without thinking about anything else can be meditation. So like I've mentioned previously, like I have an e-bike before that it was just a mountain bike. Um, Anytime I'm riding my bike, that's a moving meditation for me i do have just like you i kind of have about a 20-minute meditation that i do in the morning my kind of morning starts off by taking care of animals and i have to Mm -hmm. feed our rabbits feed the cats feed the dog take him out to go use the bathroom and then everybody else kind of calms down for a little bit and then that's when i dive into my 20-minute meditation after that meditation my wife and I get going in the morning. Um, she drinks a cup of cacao. I drink a cup of mud water. We sit down with our journals. We both have oracle and tarot card decks that we work with. And so we pull cards. Which is a big part of your podcast, it's by a the huge way, too. Part the of my, yeah, it's a huge yeah. part of my podcast. It basically gives the inspiration for every single episode. And so I use those cards to then give me the inspiration on what I'm going to journal about. And that's really the only kind of quote unquote scripting that I do for my podcast, but I don't actually, it's not like I have my journal open in front of me when I'm recording the podcast. I just in my mind know what I wrote about that morning and then allow that inspiration to flow through me as I'm recording my podcast episode. So that journaling is also a form of meditation. Now, one thing that my wife and I have practiced, like in 2020, we had a very rough year. We separated for a period of time. We almost got divorced, but we were able to come back to each other and recognize that we were best friends for a year and a half before we even started dating. I dated one of her friends. She dated one of my friends, and then we went on a hike together on Mount Rainier, and I asked her like, well, what would you think if we started dating? And then a couple of weeks later, we started dating and then a year went by and I asked her to marry me and then seven years into our marriage. And there's of course that like seven year itch a lot of people talk about and we definitely experienced that. In coming back together, one of the things that we started doing is every night before we went to bed, we said three things that we were grateful for that day. Love it. Now, that could have been things that we were grateful for for each other. It could have been things that we were grateful for based on what the day was. And I will admit the first month probably I was on the struggle bus. I had a really hard time pulling things to be grateful for because I was still dealing with a lot of the emotional turmoil of what I did in our relationship that I was feeling a lot of guilt. I was feeling a lot of shame. I was feeling a lot of regret. I was going through a lot of those lower vibrational frequency feelings like I was talking about earlier in those lower vibrational frequencies it's much more difficult to move up that scale of consciousness to where gratitude lives. And like gratitude is sure. on like, it's right around like the 7-800 range within the scale of consciousness. So it is really far up there just along with love, just along with joy, sure. pure happiness. But the more and more we did that practice the more and more I was able to hold gratitude. And now there's several pages in my journal that it's an entire page of things that I'm grateful for. It has just become easier and easier to see the things that I'm grateful for, being able to take my dog on a walk, being able to have these conversations, being able to hold space for others. I could go on and on and on about the things that I can be grateful for because it's now been a practice that has been ingrained in my being, but it took practice. It took a lot of practice in the beginning to actually get to that state to recognize that even seeing a butterfly, even seeing a bird soar through the sky are all things to be grateful for.
0: Yeah, Joe Dispenza just so eloquently talks about all of this as well and and even you know, meditation for beginners that you know he talks about that that you know, these are patterns that we live our life in patterns. And so when we first try to sit down and meditate, just being present, like you talked about, Adam, just focusing on the present, focusing on the breath can be so hard in the beginning because our patterns are, oh, I want to go grab my cup of coffee. I want to go check my iPhone. Oh, I have a lot of stuff I need to do today. I don't have time for this. All those, those are patterns. And then the patterns of Oh, I'm not good enough to go do this. I'm not good enough to do a podcast. Who am I? I'm not ready to start a podcast. I'm all these patterns, and we're with meditation. We are literally training our body, and that takes time, that we are in charge. You're gonna sit still here, and and I am in charge, and I'm going to be present. And as those thoughts come in, that's okay. You know when you get those the monkey brain and all these thoughts coming in about I got to go get coffee or I've got so much stuff stuff I have to do you know uh, David G I like what he says as well that uh, that look at these thoughts coming in like the clouds passing by mm-hmm. acknowledge them all right I see you thought and just let the cloud, let it drift on just let it pass by gently set it aside go back to the breath and the more we do that and i'm i'm a walking example of cuz i'm a guy that i've been meditating for 25 years but never more than like 3 weeks straight until 15 months ago i would do it for a week or two and then i wouldn't do it for 3 months and then i'd do it for 3 days and i wouldn't do it for 3 day, you know for another 3 days so only about 15 months ago that i said i am hell or high water every single day. And it's like, I can pretty much say for the last, you know, from pretty much since I was three years old, I've brushed my teeth every single day. And I thought, you know, I've never missed a day. I mean, maybe camping one time, whatever, when I was a kid, whatever. But if I can brush my teeth every single day, I can meditate. And I I thought, I'm going to just, for once in my life, make this a mandatory practice. And it took... Probably three, four or five months before I really got into a groove. And and I still have days where, you know, I'm sure you'll agree where I'll have a meditative session that it's like, yeah, just not a whole lot happening. I was completely fighting off the thoughts because I had maybe a huge day with back-to-back appointments from 730 AM till nine at night or whatever. But it really has changed my life as well in that Virtually every day when I'm done and I walk out of that, I've got gratitude in my heart, or I have an intention for the day, or I'm just it sets the tone for the day. And it also retrains our body, and we can literally start to form neural, you know, neuroplasticity and, and, and reform neuro, our, our neural pathways to the point where it's so much easier for us to when something happens. To not go back to our old patterns, whether we're in traffic, whether we spill a cup of coffee on the counter, and we uh and we and when you feel the anger coming on, which you know to me, it's the small stuff that that gets me upset. My whole life, that's how I've been. Big catastrophes, I'm Mister Calm, but the small little things are where I've needed to work on. And and over time, when you start to notice, wow, I don't get to choose what happened to me that I got this flat tire on my way to a very important meeting, but I can choose how I'm going to feel about it. And that's what meditation has done for me, for sure.
1: Well, and I mean, meditation is all about just developing awareness. It's developing awareness of yourself. It's developing awareness of the things that are happening around you. It's developing the awareness to recognize when those triggers happen, and then being able to ask yourself that hard question, where is this coming from? Is this helping me or is this hindering me? And then being able to use that awareness to go deeper into it. And I'm just like you, I have some mornings where I sit in my meditation and it's like, I can hear the cats messing with something I can hear, you know, it's really rainy out and that kind of maybe sometimes puts me deeper into it. Sometimes it takes me out of it. Like I maybe had a lot of dreams the night before. And so that's still playing in my mind of like, what does this mean? And what does this mean? And, and, I have a similar analogy of what you brought up with David G of like I use a river. So think about yourself sitting next to a river. Love that, yeah. And you see yeah. a leaf floating by. But you don't reach out and grab it, you just watch it go by. That's the same thing in meditation. You just watch the thought go by but don't reach out and grab it. The moment you reach out and grab it, you're no longer in the present moment. You've been taken out of the present yeah. moment and now you're on the thought train. And once you're on the thought train, it's yeah. hard to get off of that train because the thought train is always moving. You got to jump off to be able to get off yeah. of it. And a lot of times that just means you're going to stop your meditation and you're going to walk away. But I did a interview with the gentleman that it's episode 15 of my podcast. Um, his name is Vash Tominek and actually really young guys, 25 years old. And he has the practice where he meditates for about 20 or 30 minutes every morning. He also visualizes while he's doing that meditation. But then throughout the day, everywhere that he finds like two or three minutes, say he's waiting in line at the bank or he's in between a call, instead of picking up his phone and scrolling through Instagram or TikTok or whatever just to pass the time, he takes those couple of moments Drops from his head to his heart and just breathes for a little bit. Open eyes, not closing his well, eyes or yeah. anything, but still just maintaining that presence. And we all have those two or three minutes multiple times throughout the day. So if you get 10 of those throughout the day, sure do. you just meditated for 20 or 30 minutes throughout the day. Yeah, good point. It's just broken up into chunks. And that's a whole lot easier to bite off as a beginner than to say, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to meditate for 20 minutes every single day. It's setting an unrealistic expectation for yourself if you've never trained that pathway. And if we use another analogy on training neural pathways within the brain, think about a hiking trail, right? You go on a hiking trail, it's very clear where that path has been because so many people have walked that same path. But you might know that if I walk 100 feet down there and then I take a left and I walk through the forest here, it's going to take me further down the path that's going to be this shortcut. But if you only walk that shortcut once and you come back to it again the next day, you won't be able to see where that trail is. But if you walk it again, all of a sudden that trail gets slightly more clear because you recognize a certain rock or you recognize a certain branch. And then if you continue yeah. to walk that path more and more and more, eventually that path will become so clear, it'll be just as clear as the other path that everybody else walks. The difference yep. is, is that now you've trained and if other people can learn to walk that same path, they're like, oh, I wonder where this one goes to and then you kind of start to teach your brain to take these shortcuts instead of taking the known path and in taking those shortcuts it will develop new shortcuts and the new shortcuts and the new shortcuts and then eventually after taking so many shortcuts your brain is completely rewired and you are a totally different person
0: beautifully said yeah and i love what when you when you were talking about you know, when you're meditating and all of a sudden a cat makes a noise or, or, you know, the, the rain makes a noise and distracts you. I love what Light Watkins says about that. And he says that, that, and he's all about meditating without, without a guided meditation, just being present, focusing on your breath. But any noise that you hear the truck that goes by the beep, 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 a backing out truck outside your door or, or a neighbor yelling or, you know, that's part of your meditation too. Mm. welcome it. The dog just barked. I acknowledge you, dog. You're part of my meditation now. Thank you for being part of my meditation. I acknowledge it. Boom, you're back, right, right back to the breath. Rather than, see, this was me always trying to make my environment perfect. Let me, okay, I'm gonna close the windows. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna turn off my phone. I want my environment to be perfect so I'm undisturbed, you know? But some of my best meditation sessions have been, out in the woods, and all of a sudden, boom, there's a woodpecker. Hmm, I hear you, woodpecker. Thank you for joining my meditation today. Boom, back to the breath. And so shifting the mindset to welcoming any outside noise, no matter how disturbing or violent it is, a neighbor screaming or what have you, um, just, just welcome it. And that's going to prevent you from going to your deep relaxed state you know and inadvertently going to a you know an upset state the whole point is to go into deep relaxation so and not letting external factors affect that i love for that sure. and speaking of light walkings, he and david g yeah i do too i think it's and it's served me well in my meditations uh, because i was always trying to control the environment and now i don't anymore i welcome any outside sounds and and and, and so forth but both Light Watkins and David G recommend twice a day for 20 minutes. So, I'm try and I'm doing that somewhat consistently. My morning one is non-negotiable. I mean, I as as David G says, RPM, rest, P, meditate. And I subscribe to that. Sometimes I'll brush my teeth before I meditate, other times I'll brush my teeth afterwards, but that's non negotiable. As soon as I get up, I meditate. I always carve out time for it. The afternoon ones, I'm trying to squeeze those in. Not quite as good at that yet. So we'll see. So,
1: yeah, I love that. And what you said there, I want to touch on is that by inviting those noises and saying thank you, you're also adopting gratitude into your meditation too. Sure.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: It's like having exactly. gratitude for those things that would have disturbed you otherwise, but by being able to have gratitude for them, it just draws you deeper into that meditation. I, I'm going to have to implement that for sure. Oh, yeah. It's, it's it's awesome. And
0: I love the word that you just said, possibly accidentally. You said gratitation. And I thought, wow, that's kind of cool. Let's do a gratitation. I like it. Yeah. I like it. A meditation on gratitude. Well, Adam, we would have a four-hour podcast if we just let this go. I have about a whole ton of other questions, but I'm thinking, what are your thoughts that we better jump to our signature questions here and, uh, and then we'll just have to make it a, you know, a regular thing that we just do this you know once or twice a year. We, we circle back and, and, and update each other on our shows. How's that sound?
1: I think so. I think that sounds really good.
0: All right. Well, another thing that we have in common, as I just mentioned, is we both have signature questions that we ask each other or that we ask our guests at the end of every
1: episode. And do you want to start first or you want me to sure. start? I'll go ahead. So, Steve... Oh. What did you have to embrace in your life in order to expand into the person you are today?
0: All right. First of all, let me just say that that's a beautiful, beautiful question. I, I love that. And I love how that's actually the name of your your podcast and your company. I just, um, yeah, I, I just love it. So I compliment you on on that. And so I put some thought into this and it was really hard for me, Adam, to come up with one answer. So I have four for you that came to mind that like boom, 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 rapid fire. The first thing I think in my life that I've embraced early on that definitely enhanced my life in a big way is embracing risk. When I look back over my life, some of the most amazing experiences I had all started with my willingness to take a risk. And there's just been so many cases of that. I remember as a 16 year old, I was starting to play in bands. And as you mentioned, I'm a musician and I started playing in bands, but there was this band called Millennium, which was the top band in the St. Louis area. I grew up in Southern Illinois, right on the Illinois, Missouri border. There was a band called Millennium that was like the top band that played all the top clubs and and you know I wanted to play in this band. When I was 16 years old. Well, they needed a keyboard player and I heard this through word of mouth so I called the leader of the band his name is David Wilkerson and we're friends to this day and asked if I could audition and God love these guys they were all in their late 20s and early 30s. I was 16. They let me audition for the band, and I brought my gear down and I set up and and you know I thought I can play with these guys because I grew up playing Mozart and Bach and Beethoven and I grew up playing classical piano, and audition for the band and at first they're like oh my god how old are you you know and and uh, and long story short I didn't pass the audition I failed and they're like first of all you're too young second of all Steve yeah you're an amazing piano player but. We play rock and, and blues. You need to improve your street playing, You know your improvisation. Your I could pick up Beethoven and Bach and I could play it off of sheet music, but I wasn't used to playing five, six nights a week in clubs with other musicians. And that's when you learn to play in a group and bring down your volume when the guitar player is soloing and, and complement what the drummer is playing rhythmically with the keyboards. Those are all things I didn't have a clue about. So, But he gave me the time and energy and and knew that I had some talent. So he basically said, this is what you need to go work on, but I think you have a hell of a future. And not only that, he recommended me a friend of his band that wasn't at their level, but still way better than I was, and put me in touch with the leader of that band. And I went and played with them for a year. Went out, started gigging with these guys, and I learned a ton from them as well. They were all twice my age. Learned a ton of stuff. And from that one little experience, flash forward a couple years later, I'm freshman in college at, at Illinois State University, and guess who calls me? David Wilkerson says, Steve, I hear you've really blossomed the last couple of years. I'm now 19, and so it's been like three years later, I guess. And he said, I've heard amazing things about your playing from Darby, who was the leader of the other band that he turned me on to. We need a keyboard player again. Would you like to come audition again? And I went, auditioned for this band, and I got the gig. And the next two years playing with them was some of the best two years of my life. You know, we were doing, you know, six nights a week. Sometimes we'd do 24, 25 nights straight, you know, and we start over the St. Louis area. And then we'd started doing dates in, you know, other parts of Illinois, Indiana, you know, other parts of Missouri and from that band i started playing in other bands as well i played with a band that played in norway and we traveled you know from you know norway and sweden and oslo and stavanger and all those areas and it was music that brought me out to california and then i eventually signed a, a record label to a small independent label here in los angeles put out an album you know and 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 toured promoting that record and all of that started and so many of these relationships started when i took a chance at 16 to audition in a band, I had no business playing in. But the people that I met along the way, and the and, and I also learned about failure. That okay, it kind of smacked me around, you know, around my peers in high school playing with my sixteen and seventeen year olds. I was like the guy; I was the leader of my little band, you know. And we were playing little junior high dances and things like that. But I needed to be smacked around a little bit and realized that I have a lot to learn. But I took that lesson and, and moved on. So. So risk and starting companies, I've launched two companies from scratch and built them. And I've had plenty of failures as a result of my risk, but some of my greatest lessons were from taking risk. So my life has been so much enhanced by risk. So I would just encourage people, take a chance, do something you wanted to do and you never thought you could, go do it. The second thing I had to embrace was open-mindedness and critical thinking. And I grew up in a very staunch Republican family. Went to a Catholic grade school, and and when I was in first grade, I was you know walking on my parking lot with a sign saying Nixon, Nixon, he's our man. Throw McGovern in the garbage can. That's really showing my age right there. But um, grew up in a family of you know these are how things done. These are how things are done. Government should be smaller. Pay pay less taxes. Uh, You know so many things that. uh, that I had these beliefs, I believed in trickle down economics, I believe that was the the enemy, so many things that we were taught in the you know seventies and eighties and and nineties that until I learned how to really question everything that i was that i've that I've learned, I think that has enhanced my life so much by meeting people that challenged challenged me on some of my past beliefs that I was very rigid on. And me being willing to open up my mind and realize, wow, I was really way off base with that. Or maybe there's nothing wrong with that belief. It's just not mine anymore. I don't choose to subscribe to that because I've opened up my awareness. That took me into, it took me down a completely different path. The next thing I would throw out is curiosity. Embracing curiosity. It, it, that's. To me, um, I like to be around people and surround myself with people that are curious about everything. That are curious about meeting people from all walks of life. That are curious about travel. I think so often we Americans uh, can learn so much from from Europeans who who have a different country, uh, a two hour train ride away, and so they speak two or three or four or five different languages. And that was something that I was curious to see. For example, with my, I had an IT tech staffing company and I wanted to expand and try to do some business internationally, even though we're still a relatively small, relatively small business. I was a part of like some round tables with other business leaders that said, no, you have to be a certain level before you can do business. You have to get your revenue up to, you know, 20 million before it's worth to go internationally. And 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 anyway, I just did it. I thought, you know what? I feel like doing it and and just made some calls and before you know, within a few months I was doing business in Mexico City. I was doing some business in Brazil. I was doing some in Buenos Aires, and, and then I started to fly to some of these areas, even Central America, and I thought, if I'm going to do business with people here in, in these different countries, I need to show respect. My first few trips that I went down to Mexico City, for example, I had to take a translator with me, so I thought, I'm going to learn Spanish. And every day I talk to you, the only way you can learn Spanish and be able to speak it conversationally and fluently is to go live in that country for six months. Well, I couldn't do that. I had three small kids. And so I hired an 80-something Argentinian woman, and I went to her three days a week, practiced for two hours with her. I learned to read, write, and speak Spanish. And I started watching telenovelas. I watched every morning Despierta America instead of Good Morning America on the television on my car stereo i had nothing but talk radio in spanish and guess what i learned the language because i was curious to see can i learn this language by still living just in america and and you can so curiosity has totally embracing curiosity has totally enhanced my life in in so many ways adam learning about different cultures and when you learn a different language you learn how in, in different countries, how they conjugate the verbs differently, with t- which teaches you a lot about how they think. There are expressions that they say. I love the expression in Spanish: Antes de ser nada, consultalo con la almohada. It's a basic ex- expression that we say in English. We say, uh, if we have an important decision to make, we say, eh, I think I'll sleep on it tonight. You know, sleep on it. Wake up tomorrow and see. You know how you feel about that decision. The Spanish translation, what they say, is uh, again, "Antes de hacer nada, consulta lo con la almohada." Before you do anything, talk it over with the pillow. So, just beautiful, wonderful expressions like that to say the same thing, but but just in a, it's just a beautiful, colorful language and. Latin people are just such wonderfully beautiful, colorful people. And I think it's no small part because of their language. I've learned a little German and talk about an amazing, you know, language. There's so many beautiful words that don't even exist in English. And you only learn that if you have a curiosity to, to learn it. So anyway, that's been a huge one for me. Lastly, and I left this one because it's the most important one by far. I really and we haven't talked about this much, we'll do it in the night or at all in our next conversation, our next podcast, we'll talk more about relationships and tough times that you and I have gone through that we've talked about privately that will maybe open up more about that in 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 the next conversation, but I really hit some dark points in my life over the last few years that I went through my own dark night of the soul, and I had to have a strong desire to embrace joy. Mm. And when I say embrace joy, like you, Adam, and, and with gratitude when you were saying that you had a you were on the struggle bus to to find something to be grateful for, I I I'm so there with you on that. And you know, gratitude and joy just were non existent in my life. I had, had dealt with so much shit. And and I was also deep into victimhood. Why is me? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? And I had to make a conscious decision that this is this is my responsibility to create my own joy. And you know, and and making that conscious decision that it's my, obligation to create my own joy and to create my own happiness. That has changed my life um, in in so many ways. It is our responsibility to take ownership of it, to force ourselves to meditate, to force ourselves to come up with three stinking things we're thankful for. We can do it. All right. Even if you don't want to just do it. And I love what Oprah says. Don't just write down things you're grateful for. Write down why. Why? you're grateful for those things. Why are you grateful for your mother? Because she's been there for me all my life. When I was down as a kid, she's the one that threw me on her lap and gave me kisses and made me feel good. Embrace the feeling of why we are grateful for that person in our lives. Why are we grateful for this air that we are breathing? My gosh, when I take this deep breath, I can just feel this oxygen coming through my body and giving me this energy to look out this window and I'm looking out a window directly in front of me with these magnificent pine trees and sycamore trees and it's it's you know it's amazing that's why I'm grateful for this air that I'm breathing so I can witness this so so I think it's important that we not only talk about or be talk about what we're grateful for but why we are grateful for that. And then once we have that gratitude, it is impossible not to feel joyful. Mm. So thank you for that beautiful question.
1: I love every response that you had to say to that. And there's just so many nuggets of wisdom in all of that, that like you said, we'd be here for another couple of hours if I continued (laughs) to like dive into everything. But thank you so much for your very thoughtful responses for just bringing up those different viewpoints. And, you know, I like the fact that you didn't just try to solidify it into one answer, because that is a very deep question. And to be able to recognize and look back through your life at four different things that you had to embrace in order to be the person that you are today just goes to show the full spectrum in which that you have lived. And it takes living spectrum in order to actually live life. It sure does. It sure does. And and
0: with so much of this, Adam, it's not about one thing. Health and wellness is not about just breath work. It's not about just meditation. It's not about exercise. It's not about just diet. It's, it's pooling together all these wonderful things and by the way i just inadvertently gave like six things to be grateful for you know or five things whatever um, but it's so 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 often in life we like to have one answer to everything no it's a lot of different pieces that and that's part of what makes this life so beautiful it's so complex but yet it's also so simple in that we truly are these connected beings we truly are one. You know, when you're telling the story about the struggle bus, you know, I, I feel that because that's me. I am you and you are me. All these wonderful feelings that we have, it's all of us. And, and that's, you know, what I love about these modalities that we're talking about, like meditation and breath work. And, and David G always says, let's take this collective breath together from the ethos of the universe. You know, um, it's just beautiful. So I couldn't
1: agree with you more, Steve.
0: All right. Well, now I get to ask you our signature question that we ask at the end of every episode is what advice, Adam, do you have for us and our listeners on how we can help make the world a better place?
1: To just be you. To be unquestionably you. The person that you were born that person, to be fully in your light, fully every bit weird, every bit authentic, every bit of what makes you you, that's what will make the world a better place. Don't dim your light for anybody. Don't dim your light for any reason whatsoever, but shine it as bright as you possibly can because you will give people the permission to do the same thing.
0: Mic drop. That is, that is, and I'm not just saying this, one of the most beautiful answers I've ever gotten to that question. Thank you, Steve. I love it. I mean, that's beautiful, beautiful.
1: That's literally what embrace and expand is all about. It's about embracing everything that you are so you can expand into the greatest version of yourself. So tell our listeners the easiest way they can find you. So easiest way you can find me, um, you can find me on Instagram, adam.carberry. You can also find um, at embrace and expand. Also have a website that is currently in the process of being redesigned and rebuilt to look a little nicer, be a little bit more streamlined. That's embrace and I haven't yet told anybody about this but i feel like this is kind of the perfect opportunity but i have been working tirelessly for a very long time at creating the embrace and expand community And it is going to be a membership-based platform where we will have weekly coaching calls, we will have bi-weekly breathwork sessions, we'll also have um, courses and trainings within that platform. But it's basically a community for like-minded people to gather together that we're all on this journey back to self. And like you had mentioned earlier in the podcast, that in-community is where we can truly heal. We can only heal so much by ourselves, but when we can join together in community, the depth in which we can go is so much greater. So it's not quite finished. I'm hoping to have it done by the end of the month so I can actually launch February 1st, but um, that information will be available through my Instagram, through the website, and I'm excited to give that offering to the world. Sounds awesome. And for
0: our listeners, we I can be reached at, at BetterPlacePraj on Instagram at better and the website is betterplaceproject.org. And you can find me on Instagram at at Steve Norris Official. Took me a second there at Steve Norris Official. Adam, this has been just awesome. why did we wait so long to do this? It's been uh it's we're gonna have to make this a a regular regular deal because this is This has gone way longer, I think, than either one
1: of us expected, but um, I enjoyed every minute of it. We'll have to do it again. Same here. And I'll make sure to have everything in the show notes below so that it's easy for you guys to find. Likewise. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate you. Take care, buddy. All right. Bye-bye. Likewise.
0: Special thanks to our producer, Noah Existe, and editor, Joe Tempoco. Our music was written and performed by Algien Importante. Thank you so much for listening. If this podcast brightened your day in any way, please share it with a friend who you think it might resonate with. Subscribe and leave us a rating and review as that is the single best way to help the show and get the word out to more good humans. For behind the scenes info, please visit our website at betterplaceproject.org, where you can even click on the microphone in the lower right-hand corner and leave us a message or just stop by to say hi. And you can follow us on Instagram at betterplacepraj and You'll find me at Instagram at Steve Norris official. Look for small ways to be kind this week, and that will help make the world a better place. Make the world a better place. Make the world a better place. Make the world.
1: A